We're going to open our Bibles now. We're uh, reading uh, a story uh, that Jesus gave, a famous story. You might know it by the name of the prodigal son. Uh, it's a wonderful story of God's acceptance and love. And we're going to spend some time thinking about it today. I'm going to invite Sandra up and she's going to read that story for us. The parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Brilliant. Thank you, Sandra. <clears throat> uh, those of you with kids, you might have realised this already, but one of the great things about having young kids in your household is you get to revisit all these good things from your childhood, maybe things that you feel too embarrassed to play with as an adult or maybe things that you've even just forgotten about. Uh, it's, you know, it's brilliant. I mean, you can even go to the toy shop and shop in the kids' section without feeling weird about that. Like, that's pretty cool, I think. Uh, here's a book. Here's a book that I rediscovered recently. It's going to pop up on the overhead. You may uh, be aware of it. Uh, Where the Wild Things Are. Um, I've got to confess, I didn't actually like this book as a kid. I know that's, that's kind of like, oh, who dares to say that, but I didn't. Uh, but now, now I realise it's actually a really great story. Um, not only are the illustrations cool, uh, but the story is cool. I mean, if, if you haven't read this, uh, the plot is very simple. Kid growls at his father, uh, uh, sorry, his parents. 
gets sent to his room. Uh, get, in his imagination, he goes uh, to this land of wild, growling monsters. He becomes king of them and has all sorts of adventures. But finally, he gets hungry. He uh, thinks, I need to go home. And he does. And in his room, uh, there's his dinner, which he was sent to his room without. And it's still warm, and he gets to eat it. It's lovely. I realized the other day that actually it's a really good story in that it tells us stuff, doesn't it? Uh, it's a good story because it reminds us how good home is. And it tells us that home is precious, home is important, uh, even better than perhaps worlds that we might imagine. Uh, it's a good story. It reminds us that when we go home, we find their love and acceptance, even despite the things that we do that are wrong. See, that's a good story, isn't it? That, that's some really great things to be reading to our kids. But is it a true story? Are those underlying themes a true themes? Because I think if we're honest, uh, sometimes our homes don't really feel like that, do they? <laughs> Let's be honest, there's arguments at home, there's tension at home, there's all sorts of things that make us maybe not want to go back home sometimes. So can these things be true? Well, in that story that Sandra just read for us, Jesus tells us, actually, yes, this story can be real, and it can be real for all of us, and not just for all of us, but forever as well. He's saying there is a home for us. There is a place of deep acceptance and deep love, a place that's better than here, a place that's better than anything we could imagine, in fact and a place that is for you. Now this story that Jesus uh, told that we read just before, it's called a parable. Uh, that essentially means a story with meaning, uh, a story with a point that's teaching. Uh, we, you know, we have modern parables, you know, the hare and the tortoise, or the boy who cried wolf. The difference is, this story isn't just teaching a life lesson. This story is teaching how to have life at all. Now we meet in it a dad. We meet in it a dad and his two sons, but this is not a terribly happy family, is it? We see it there in verse 11. Uh, there was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Um, it all proceeds quite smoothly, doesn't it? But actually, that's a really rude request, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's pretty harsh. Dad, give me my share of your stuff now. Uh, what's, what's implied behind that? What's implied is he's saying to his dad, I kind of wish that you were dead because if you were dead, I could have all of your stuff. Since you aren't dead, I guess I have to ask you for it, which is terribly inconvenient. <laughs> it's, it's pretty brutal, isn't it? I wish you were dead, then I could have your stuff. I don't like you, but I do like what you own. I remember once um, after a, a funeral for one of our grandparents, uh, we and all the extended family went back to their now empty house uh, and all of their stuff was there and it was, it was lying around waiting to be taken or sent to the op shop or whatever. Uh, and all of us were told, um, have a wander around the house and if you see something you like, you just write your name on it <laughs> and you can have it. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that. That felt really weird to me. It felt really disrespectful, like walking around my grandparents' house saying, I'll have that and that. They didn't have much stuff that I wanted, but it, it felt weird. Like, it felt really rude, didn't it? You know, you're kind of picking out your inheritance. Well, imagine then doing that while they're alive. Um, I'll have that. 
and I'll, actually, your car is nice, I'll have that as well. Maybe you do that at your parents' house, if so, we need to have a talk later. But it, that's weird, isn't it? Or imagine saying to them, actually, can you sell the car so I can have my inheritance in cash, please? Because <laughs> having it in goods is really inconvenient. That's what's happening here. The younger son says, I kind of wish you were dead. I want your stuff so I can go and do my own thing. Now, for, to make it even worse, um, the younger son is probably in his late teens. You know, not the most responsible of age to be carrying around a huge lump of cash. And we see he doesn't have great plans here. You know, he doesn't have plans to invest and build his own empire to go out his own way. He has plans to party. And so he does. Uh, picks it up in verse 13. Not long after that, the young, younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. It's kind of predictable, isn't it? Here's thousands of dollars, give it to a teen, say, off you go, and off he goes. Wild living, nothing. And to make it doubly bad, then there's a famine in the land. So not only does he just have no money, but now the country has nothing as well. You know, food is scarce, prices go through the roof, he's got nothing left. This is desperate. And the only work he can get is working with pigs, which is the lowest of the low jobs. Like, this, is, this is rock bottom. And in fact, his rock bottom is so low, he's sitting there in the pig pen, he's looking at the pigs, and he is jealous of their food. It's like, gee, I wish I could eat that well, as well as a pig. He has used his father, he has rejected his father, he has told him he wished he was dead, he's taken his stuff, and this is where he's wound up. What about the older brother? What's he up to? Was he a bit wiser? Uh, as, let's be honest, older brothers usually are, uh, speaking, speaking as an older brother. Well, it turns out he wasn't. He was very similar, in fact, but a little bit different as well. I'll read what uh, we learn of the older brother. It comes from verse 29. He, that's the older brother, answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Do you hear what's going on there? Do you hear what he's saying? The younger brother says, I don't care for you, give me your stuff. The older brother says, I've done everything you've wanted and you haven't given me any of your stuff. See, when you boil it down, these two guys are actually kind of similar, aren't they? They're essentially the same. Both of them are obsessed with the stuff of the father and not really with the father himself. Neither of them really care. Both of them see him as a way to get what they want, regardless of the consequences. Now, like I said before, this is a parable. This is a teaching story. Jesus has a point here. And what Jesus is doing is, he is telling us about ourselves. He is saying, you are the sons, I am the sons, and God is the dad. We are these boys. 
whether we have told God to get stuffed, we want to take his stuff and go our own way, or whether we've tried very hard to, you know, to be good, to impress him in order to get his stuff that way. The same is true for both of us, for all of us. We are all trying to use God as a means to our own ends. Either we're taking his stuff now, all the good stuff he's put around us and given to us, and telling him to get stuffed. Or we're trying to do the right thing now in the hope that one day he'll give us all of that stuff. We can have it that way. Either way, Jesus is saying we're not caring much for God, are we? He's saying that's the problem with us. That's who we are. We've not just broken something like, like a rule or something. We have gone against someone. And not just anyone, you know, not just a, a, a teacher or a friend or a parent. Jesus is saying we have gone against our Father. You and I, we have told our Father, our God, to get stuffed. We don't care about you. All we want is what you can give us. And that's what makes the Father's response so stunning here. <laughs> I don't know what you would expect your dad to do in that situation. I guess it depends, it depends on the family you've grown up with. But I'm guessing that no matter what fam your family is like, that's not going to go well with you. <laughs> this is not going to be an easy uh, conversation. I mean, look what they've done. I mean, surely these, these sons are going to be kicked out with not a cent to their name. Surely they'll, they'll be disowned. Surely they'll be, you know, never have their name spoken again in the family house. That's, that, I mean, that would only be fair, wouldn't it? <laughs> but no, that's not what happens. I mean, we've already seen a hint. You know, the father takes both his son's rudeness with incredible patience. But eventually the younger son realizes just how much he has stuffed up. <laughs> you know, if you're not going to realize at the bottom of a pig pen, where are you? But he does. We pick it up in verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. He finally comes to his senses. And finally, this situation has, has shocked him out of his selfishness. He's realized what's going on. He's realized what he's done and how far he's fallen. And you notice he realizes that there really is only one option open to him. He can't work his way out of this situation. He can't find a better place. He's got nothing to his name. The only hope he has in this place is with his dad. But hasn't he burnt that bridge so thoroughly? Maybe, just maybe, he could be like a hired worker for his dad. And so he prepares his speech. I'm going I'm to say, I'm going to say this. I'm going to be very humble. I'm going to be very, I'm not going to ask for much. You, you can kind of sense he's anticipating just how hot this confrontation is going to be, that there's going to be anger and, and all that. But look at what happens. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, 
Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I think one of the, um, one of the funniest and, and nicest things to see is uh, when dads have their first baby, and, and especially, especially if their first child is a girl. Uh, I don't know, like having daughters changes you. Now, I, I see it in myself, like I don't dance, uh, I don't sing, I've never dressed up, I've never played dolls, until Amira turned up. Now, I will never do it in public. <laughs> like, let's just be clear about that in case your expectations are going through the roof. But now I do. Uh, I play dolls. I dress up. I can admit that. It feels weird, but I can. But you see that, don't you? Like, I see it in the guys that I grew up with. These, these, are, these are guy guys. You know, they, they drive big four-wheel drives and ride motorbikes and tradies and all those sorts of things. Yeah, they'll wear pink. They'll spend hours doing hair and getting dress-ups and painting fingernails or having their fingernails painted. Uh, in water base, so you can scrub it off before Monday morning. But, but that's what they do, don't they? Because and it's great. I mean, but why? <laughs> like, what drives these guys to do these things? It's because of love, isn't it? It's simply because of love. You know, you love your kids, and that love overrides your embarrassment. It overrides your pride. It overrides anything. And it's what we see here. It's what we see in this father here. See, dads in that day, the older men, they were, they were very dignified. They didn't run, they didn't hurry anywhere. Everyone came to them. But not this dad. Not this dad. He is hanging out for his son to come back. You know, you, you get the picture that he's kind of waiting, eagerly looking every day. Is there someone on the road to our house? And today he sees. From miles away he spots him and he, he runs to him. He sprints. He gets to him and he doesn't beat him as you might expect. He wraps him up in this bear hug and he kisses him. <laughs> the son starts this speech that he's so carefully prepared. He's like, oh, Dad, I'm sorry, I've sinned again. And the dad just kind of interrupts right over the top of him. Dad, I don't, I don't want to hear it. It doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> You're back. You're my son. Let's party. Puts a ring on his finger, puts robes on his, on his shoulders, sandals on his feet. He's saying... You're back in the family. You're, gonna, you're my son. You're going to look like my son. Let's dress you like my son. Let's kill the fattened calf. You know, that's, it's kind of like saying today, let's sell the car to buy champagne for the party. <laughs> that's the best equivalent I could come up with. My son is here. Let us party. Why? Why so extravagant? Because of love. That's real love, isn't it? That is God's love, deep and true. Because remember, this is a teaching story, isn't it? And the Father is a picture of God. So how does this picture of God line up with your picture of God? I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. All of us have a picture in our mind what God is like. Uh, it's probably fairly similar, kind of like, uh, you know, what the Simpsons always have God as. Big throne... Big guy, grey hair, robes, deep voice, bit grumpy. Maybe, maybe that's your mental image of God. Maybe you've got a better cartoon than The Simpsons for yours. I don't know. But, but that's what we assume God is, isn't it? Old guy, grumpy, indifferent, uninterested, cranky at best. It doesn't line up with this story, does it? 
just doesn't match. This is what Jesus is saying. This is who God is. A God who runs, a God who embraces, a God who kisses, a God who gives extravagantly, a God who just delights in his children, a God who forgives, who reinstates them, no matter how or what they've done, and a God who offers that for all of his children. See, uh, you might remember what we read. Verse 31, for the older son. My son, the father, said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, younger, older, it doesn't matter who you are, the father is for you. The father loves his children. He is generous to his children. That is who he is. And so who are you? Who are you? Remember, teaching story, story with a purpose. And the purpose of this story is a simple question. Uh, it's not so much the one you would expect. It's not so much, which son are you? That's not really the question. We're, we're all going to be one or other of the sons at different times in different measures. No, the question of this story is, where will you be at the end? When the story finishes, where will you stand? We've seen the younger son. The younger son fell furthest, at least in invisible terms. He fell into the most deepest of pits. But he was restored the most, wasn't he? He realised his fault. He didn't try to fix it. He didn't you know, say to himself, I've got myself into this mess, I'll get myself out of it. He said, only Dad can help me. And that's what happened. Only Dad could help him. Dad did help him. He was back with his father in the home, part of the family again. Well, what about the older son? The older son's fall was more subtle, wasn't it? You know, less, less obvious, but no less terrible. But you notice, the end of the story just cuts off, doesn't it? It just stops. Jesus ends. And we're not told where he winds up. We're actually just kind of left hanging. The older son's outside, and we're not told where, what goes on. He's outside, rejecting his father, refusing his brother. Will he stay there? Will he too say, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Can I come in? See, the question we are left asking of ourselves is how will I respond to the father's love? We've seen this incredible picture of it. How will I respond? How will you respond? to that love because love demands a response doesn't it love always demands a response love always gets a response a huge act of love you have to do something uh, it might just be me but I always felt really awkward at uh, my birthday you know getting presents or at Christmas getting presents that that moment just makes me feel really uncomfortable not because I don't like presents like I like presents but getting them, is, getting them is a bit strange, isn't it? You're like, someone has given you this gift. They've put all this time and effort and, and maybe money into it. Uh, they've, they've thought about it a lot and, and, and given it to you. Like, how do you react to that? Uh, thanks. Like, it feels lame, doesn't it? It feels really pathetic. You know, they've done all of this for you and you're like, thanks. Hopefully you've got them something reasonable in response. But it, it's hard. How, how, do, you, how do you react? 
We feel that awkwardness because love demands a response, doesn't it? Big acts of love, we feel demand a big response. So how will you respond? This is how the Father loves. This is how the Father welcomes you. How will you respond? At the end of the day, there is only two possibilities, isn't there? You can either accept the Father's love or you can reject the Father's love. There's only two, because let's be honest, you know, if you try to walk a middle ground of not yet accepting, in essence, what you're doing is actually just rejecting, isn't it? You're, you're not responding to it. Now, the consequence of one is to stay outside, to be on the outer, to be apart, whereas a consequence of the other is to be welcomed inside is to join the party, to, to know that love, to come home and experience that relationship. How do you know that question is for you? Well, it's for you because God has asked it of you. God said so. Here's perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible. You may have heard it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. <laughs> you think the father in the story is extravagant. How much more this? The God who, who gives, who so loves the world, you and me, that is the people of the world, that he gave his son so that we could live, so that we could be welcomed in. How good is that? He gave his son to take the cost of your rejection to forgive and to open that door for us to return, for that love to be yours. It is good to have a true home. It is good to have deep love and acceptance. And you do. A home with God a place in his family, a life in his rejoicing over you for all time. And that love is offered to you. Will you return? Will you accept that love? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this beautiful picture of who you are this picture of your good and deep and extravagant love that you have given us so freely and so wonderfully in Jesus. Father, we, we don't deserve it. Uh, we're people who've rejected you. We're people who, by our own choices, have put ourselves far away from you, on the outside. And yet you are so patient. You are so good. Your love is so rich that despite all that we have done, you joyfully gladly welcome us back father help us to see that love clearly help us to see how good and beautiful it is help us to respond well to that love and accept your welcome back in jesus name we pray amen